Revelation 21. Revelation 21. We have come quite a distance now at this point. We're in the final stages of our study of uh, this book. It's the final couple chapters now. Look back and go, you're almost there. You've you've made it through. (laughs) Um, I'll go ahead and read the first uh, eight verses of Revelation 21, and we'll make our way uh, through the pictures that are here and answer any questions that you have uh, as, as we go through. So Revelation 21. Then I saw new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who was seated on the throne said behold i am making all things new also he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true and he said to me it is done i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end to the thirsty i will give from the spring of the water of life without payment the one who conquers will have this heritage and i will be his son he will be my son sorry he will be my I will be his God and he will be my son. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, and the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. All right. So to put this chapter in a little bit of its space, in chapter 20, we, we saw this great white throne scene, and we've noted that you had the sea giving up its dead Hades and death are all sent away and everybody stands before God and is going through this whole judgment sequence and chapter 20 ended anyone whose name's not found uh, in the book of life is is being thrown uh, into the lake of fire so really I think what you have is the next question of okay so what's what's next now that you've had this final judgment imagery come about what happens now and i think that's what these uh final two chapters are are all about in in verse one of chapter 21 uh you have a description here that we have a new heaven and a new earth and what we're going to do in our in our study today is note that while there are some interesting images that are found uh, in this this chapter, I think subsequent verses explain what these are. So here you have this new heaven and new earth, but I think the first eight verses really explain what's intended by that image. You also are going to see New Jerusalem here. That comes back in verse 9, and the rest of the chapter from verse 9 all the way to the end is also going to explain, okay, well, what is that pointing to? What is that trying uh, to explain? So uh, in, in verse 1, you have the first earth and the the first heavens. They are passed, passed away. Just to, uh, I'm going to put on the screen that this this is also what is stated in the New Testament, that... You have Peter in his second letter telling us that 
the present heavens and the present earth are set and, and prepared and stored up for a, a judgment of fire. Verse 10 talks about how when the day of the Lord comes, it's going to be that they're going to pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies are going to be burned up and dissolved and the earth and all the works that have been done in it are going to be exposed. And Peter ends by saying, but we are awaiting this new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. And, and this section probably gives us a, here in Revelation 21 a, a good handle on, well, what exactly is he pointing to and meaning when he talks about uh, this new heavens and new earth? So I want you to notice some of the pictures that, that are given in, in, in chapter 21. Look at verses 2 and 3. And tell me some of the pictures that are being given here that we can kind of get a, a handle on or an explanation about what is this new heavens and new earth referring to? What is it ultimately trying to explain is going to happen or talk about? All right. So what do you see happening in verses two and three after we've discarded with the first heavens and the first earth and now we have a new heavens and a new earth and now he gives some descriptions about what those things mean and what they're ultimately looking like so tell me what you're seeing in verses two and three debbie Yeah, I think that when you see Jerusalem, you, you are seeing a picture of the true people of God for all ages. And um, though it's been a couple of weeks, that's one of the reasons back in chapter 20, I was putting my finger on back in verse four when there was a question of, well, is are the people who are being described here in the resurrection only the people who were beheaded and it died for the cause of Christ. And I, I, my stance was no. I think this is talking about everybody who has been faithful as servants of God. And I think chapter 21 does the same thing here in describing them as New Jerusalem. Remember, we saw that as well, is that when God is marking who his people are, you're seeing that back in chapter 7. It's the 144,000. It's all the servants of God from every tribe, great multitudes from the ends of, of the earth. So I would agree with that, that picture. Miriam? Good. Yeah. This is a really important picture about uh, the idea of new heavens and new earth. Its biggest point is there in verse 3 that God's dwelling place is, is with people. Well, that's what I was saying. I think that's the purpose of the temple coming down from heaven is because the temple was where God was so that he right. could dwell with his people. Now they right. don't need a physical temple that they have on earth for right. sacrifices to offer. Now God can bring that copy. I think right. it's similar to the copy of the tabernacle in Hebrews, but there is that in heaven that was a copy of what was in the copy right. was what was on earth. He's bringing that to him. He can now dwell with him. Yeah, it is really interesting to think about it, putting the book of Revelation in the framework of all of scriptures, because if you start at Genesis and you have, here's creation, chapter one, here's humanity, chapter two, chapter three is Adam and Eve sinning and are now separated from God. And the whole rest of the scriptures is all about how are we going to get people restored to God again? That, that's what the whole thing is about, is 
we, everything got messed up in the first three chapters. Now, how is it all going to come back together again? And, and you notice that here in chapter 21, you're seeing that picture of how that comes back together. Verse 3 says, now we have the dwelling place of God with, with, with people here. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them uh, as, as their God. So uh, this is the idea of using the imagery of New Jerusalem coming down is now we are able to have God and his people uh, together. Now, chapter 21 is going to explain how that's possible. That's just kind of put forward is that, all right, here at the end, uh, now that the, the throne scene has been done and the books have been opened and everybody's been judged, now there is a full restoration of God's people in being able to be with God like it was from the very start. And I think that's what you have happening here. What does verse four show is, is going on with that to kind of confirm that idea? What does verse 4 reveal to us? <laughs> Dane? Well, it's the whole idea of um, everything that we are accustomed to, pain, sorrow, all the things that is of this life yeah. is no more. Yeah. Um, whenever God... There's two things about it, and I know verse 8 is going to allude to that. Is, is, this is where, like in Isaiah, where God tells, you know, he says, um, you know, it's, it's, behold, your sins, it is your sins that have separated you from me. Can I, yeah. And it's that whole thing of where God cannot dwell in sin. Well, here comes the new Jerusalem, where all the old things have been done away. Oh, by the way, it's not just sin and evildoers. Everything that made you sorry, everything that hurt, death, which was something that was final, all that's done. <laughs> that's the whole idea of God now coming in this new, this newness that can bring us to that. That's the eternity that He's He's guiding us towards. Yeah. None of these things that we're accustomed to in this life, the things that are that bothers our minds. Yeah. It's not yeah, I mean, when you read verse four, you can't help but read that and just almost breathe a sigh of relief. Like, you know, all these things of the former order, the former uh, heaven and earth that we are so used to is now over with. And it's ultimately just trying to describe a finality of comfort to the people of God, especially think about the context of what this book has described. What has the book of Revelation has said to what's going to happen to the people of God while they were alive in the first and second centuries. What are they going to experience? Persecution, death. It, it, it sounds horrifyingly awful of all that they're going to go through. So now here is this, this final answer of ultimately at the end of it all, no more mourning, no more death, uh, tears wiped away, just imagery of comfort for all that you've gone through in this life, now being healed over of sorts and fully restored and renewed back to God. So uh, verse 4 really has, has a, a beautiful comfort that's being uh, given here. Verses 5 through 8 carry that, that through. Uh, in verse 5, what would you sum up is, is ultimately being declared here? You say all things are new. Okay, so 
what would that entail? What does that mean to the people of God to tell them, all right, you know, behold, I'm making all things new and write it down. It's true. It's, it's, it's going to be that way. All things new. What would be the purpose of that? What's its point? I say all that day. Yeah, sure. Yeah. What you're finally having that. Yeah. That everything that you've been longing for, right? All of the old is gone. And in one way to think about that is when you think about new, that you, we ultimately are waiting for God to right all wrongs, to bring ultimate justice, to set righteousness in place, to put things back into order. And this is a way to say that. Here's the reset button. All things new. It's just been made fresh. Former system, former ways. That's all been set aside. Verse 4. All things reset into God's perfect universe of sorts in, in, in this way. Well, it's that restoration. Because that's yep. one of the R words you talk right. about, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. When you make something you restore right. it, you're making it new. Right. Yeah, and again, think about how that is is echoing Genesis 1 through 3. It's... This new creation again, new heavens and new earth. It's this whole restart, God with his people again. It's putting us back to the way it was supposed to be from the very beginning. And so there's a really beautiful picture with that. What about verse 6? What's what's the idea here? And you've probably heard some of those things in other places in the scriptures of things that are said. Again, more reinforcement. You know, um, UK James write for these words are true and faithful. The six, it is done. Mm-hmm. This is like an amen moment. Yeah. You know, it's uh, and, and for us who are still living and potentially don't have those kind of discussions, these are like a hallelujah yeah. moment for us. I mean, it's like listen, God is faithful. Mm-hmm. What He says always comes true. That's right. This is a finality that, you know, these sins have not yet experienced, yeah. but for them it's going to be real. Good. For us, we're living in what we want to call prosperity, and put a quote, unquote, these kind of things, we don't live like the kind of persecution we dealt with. In essence, it's a reassurance that, listen, this is going to happen. You yeah. see all the destruction we talked about in training? Yeah. But for you who stayed faithful, yeah. here's your reward. Yes. It's coming. And that is for real. Absolutely. Do not doubt it. Yep. For us, it should be a very sincere comfort. It's yep. like, listen, no matter what I'm going through right now, it is, it is worth it to be mm-hmm. waiting on God. Yeah, these two chapters ultimately confirm that, April. Well, Jesus said it is done on the cross. Okay. He, he did that. In verse chapter 1, he said he was the Alpha Omega. Okay. And then he talked about the John being the living water. Okay. So this is just reiterating all those things. He's going to restore, yep. he's going to renew. It's finished. The war is over. He's won it. Satan can't yeah. affect us anymore. God told you he has had this comfort from the yeah. beginning, letting you know there's going to be yeah. this comfort. Exactly. You almost have an answer to the question, who's going to participate in this renewal? Who's going to participate in God with his people without hindrance? Who's going to participate in no more death, tears wiped away, uh, no more sorrows? Well, look carefully at who's described in verse 6. Who who are they described as? What word does he use? 
the the thirsty, <laughs> the thirsty, which goes all the way back to what Jesus was running around telling everybody, you know, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, beatitudes, right? You, who's going to seek after me? Who wants what I'm wanting to offer to you? I'm trying to give you living waters, you know, to the Samaritan woman, he made that point. John 7, standing up, whoever is thirsty, come to me and drink, and I'll make rivers of living waters flow out of your heart. Here's a picture of if you made that choice, you're the ones who are enjoying this. If, if you have chosen Christ and you're thirsty for him, well, here's this huge outcome. Dathan? And the Romans, the suffering of this present time are not worthy compared to the glory that is to be revealed. Yeah, that's right. But the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Yeah. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, all that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage and corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And, and the what I see here is a fulfillment of this. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it goes on to say, for in 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 this hope we were we were saved. So, so it, it's 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 the, the the creation was subjected. You know, you have your full restoration. Of hope. It's 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 all it's from that from what I see a return to the Garden of Eden yes. and how it would have been yep. if man had not sinned. Yes, absolutely. By the time we get out to chapter 22, you're going to have a tree of life and river. I mean, it's absolutely saying everything has been put into reset. And now things are the way they ultimately are supposed to be with God and his people and describing who those people look like. And so you have uh, an image here, first of all, of, of saying those who are thirsty, I'm giving them the spring of living water. Debbie? Yeah, he's, he's been over the whole thing from the very beginning. He sees the, the first all the way to the last, uh, absolutely. And, and that self-description back in chapter 1 of himself doing the same thing. Uh, when you look at verse 7, what are the people of God being described as theirs? Uh, who are being described of what do they look like there? What is the, the picture of uh, what they've done or are doing? Prior verse was they're thirsty. What's this one? They're conquered. They've overcome, which back to chapter two and th- chapter two and chapter three. Right. All right. He writes a letter to these different churches and says to the one who overcomes or conquers, I'm going to give them the crown of life, give them a new name and a new stone. There's all these different things. I'm going to give you this. And so here is the reality of that is whoever will overcome and stay faithful to God, even in the face of their hardship and persecution and death. Here, they're the ones who are enjoying it. And what what a picture of relationship again in verse 7. I will be his God and he will be my son. That's why my point at the very top of the screen is this section is all about trying different ways to describe this full restoration of God with, it, with his people. Here is God coming, here are people, us coming down. We are joined to him. Here we're t- together. 
with nothing to interfere. There's no more death and tears wiped away. It is the ones who have overcome. It is the ones who are thirsty that he will be our God and we will be his, his children. So there's this, this huge hope in that. But then catch verse 8. Who, very end it says, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. All right, so look at that list. Are you surprised by anything that's listed in who's going to not enjoy this paradise with God and full restoration with him? Dathan? Yeah, the first one is, is kind of curious, right? Don't know that that would have been first in my list, right? I think I would have gone with murderer or something like that, right? Yeah, cowardly. All right. Why is that there? God calls us to be fearless. Okay. Absolutely. And think about what they're going through, right, Kathy? Yeah. Like they don't, they chose the beast instead of, yeah. you know, they were more afraid of the beast than what Christians. Exactly. So imagine how easy it would have been to be cowardly and step back when you were challenged, worship the beast in its image or die. I bet there was a lot of cowardly. A lot of people are going to take a step back and go, you know, it, it all sounds good on paper of, oh, yeah, I'll die for Christ. But then be put in the reality. I think that's why the word's there first. I think that's what is driving at right out of the gate is the ones who are unwilling to be faithful unto death, which which fits the rest of that faithless, detestable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, just runs the gamut. Basically, everyone who wasn't verse 6 and verse 7, <laughs> thirsting for Christ and have uh, conquered and overcome, they're not going to enjoy this. There is no way to shrink back and still belong and enjoy what God has in store for eternity. And so this is a comfort to the people of God. As like uh, Dathan was reading, it will be worth your suffering. It will be worth what you are giving up. It will be worth laying down your life. It will be worth losing so much in this life for what God has in store. And so that's what they, I think these first eight verses are ultimately trying to do. Not necessarily give literal details about what eternity exactly looks like, but trying to communicate. If you will be faithful, here's the great outcome. Dane? Just as impressive as cowardly was liars, all yep. liars. Liars. Because in essence, you know, this is talking about not just people deceiving you, but <clears throat> deceiving yourself. Mm-hmm. And the whole concept of it is like, yeah, I'm good. No, you're not. Yes. You know, these kind of things. Um, so this is where we have to be very careful of recognizing. You know, it's very easy to point out murderers and sexually immoral. Sure. Sorcerers and idolaters is all of us tend to fit into cowardly and liars. And this is what God is telling us. Absolutely. I think we're okay with the middle descriptions, but when you start off with cowardly and faithless, you're like, hey, now. <laughs> you know, back off a little there. <laughs> you know, we want to get the big sins thrown in there, but what a way to start. Cowardly and faithless. Are you going to stay faithful to God even in the face of fear? 
are and then ending with liars. You're going to go, hey, now, <laughs> you know, David, David, David. I think it's, it's you know, the, the, the number of times the scriptures say, do not be deceived, mm-hmm. that we, we, we tend to deceive ourselves. Absolutely. And I think the greatest lies we can tell are those that we, we tell ourselves. Yep. And, and so the, this idea of liars is as to do deceiving ourselves on the matter of comedy. What came to mind when I when I read that was, you know, men the three evil ones, um, Daniel, you know, those who stood up for God, mm-hmm. and, and that that, was, that that is what had triggered into our Absolutely, that we are we are prepared to to lay down our lives. That's right. Yeah, can we imagine how could we possibly be in eternity as cowards and faithless when there's all these faithful, <laughs> brave people like Daniel who who took their stand and and and, and the, his three friends like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and uh, the apostles who gave their lives. We're going to be there going, yeah, you know, we we're afraid. You know, <laughs> there's a reason that we're the, the the counting is being willing to lay down your life to give up this world for the world to to, to come, Debbie. Sure. Jesus made that clear. If you're ashamed to confess me before my father, I'll be ashamed to confess you. That's exactly right. It's, you know, if, if you'll own me, I'll own you. Is kind of the idea there, and I think that's a, a very good reminder. So, yeah, you have a really great picture here of these first eight verses of what this new reality is of of, of what eternity will look like. And one of the, I think it's one of the most important things that eternity is described as is God's with his people. For all the strange pictures that are often presented about what heaven and eternity and paradise are, the idea that is always presented is you get to be in the presence of God, full access, nothing held back. You know, I grew up with cartoons back in the day. You know, heaven was, you know, floating on clouds and playing harps and having wings and, you know, laying in hammocks and, you know, weird descriptions of, you know, you play golf and always get a hole in one or some, you know, I don't know. It's the weird things of how people have tried to get their mind around paradise and miss what the big idea is. You get to be with God. It's, it's not the ultimate shopping spree. It's you get to be with God. It, it, that's what it's all about. And that's what these first eight verses are doing is, all right, now that the, the books have been opened and everyone's judged and the throne room is done, what's the reality of eternity? It's being with God. And that's what these first eight verses are doing and i think that's why it's called a new heaven and a new earth it's a whole new system it's a whole new reality it's a whole new universe it's a whole new way of life it's nothing like what we've ever known or seen uh completely different because we're used to death and tears and pain and sin and temptations and it's all gone at that point so it's not going to be anything we could possibly comprehend of what that's going to look like when we're in that in that position all right, uh, let's look at verses 9 through through 27. I won't read it all at once, uh, but I want you to notice that 
In verse 9, it says the angel who had poured out one of the seven bowls at the end of verse 9 says, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So this is now a description more about us, the, the new Jerusalem. And that's what you see in verse 10 is this holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. So it's interesting that the first two verses kind of just set the framework here is, New Jerusalem, the people of God coming down out of heaven. And then it more talks about the relationship. And now it's going to describe a little bit more about us, where the angel says, let me tell you more about what this means. So I'll break the reading up and we can see if we can get a feel of what this is. So verse 10, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God It's radiance like the most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. All right, tell me about just this first description about here John sees New Jerusalem coming down. This is a symbol for God's people. Here is the marriage of the bride, the wife of the lamb. So that's what verse 9 says. So here is us joined with Christ for eternity. How are we pictured in this first image here in verses 10 and 11? Beautiful. Okay, I think beautiful is a, a, a good word. Any other words, even using from what's in the text? Pure. Pure. Yeah. Notice verse 11 says, having what? God. Isn't that crazy? Having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel. So there is like a brilliance, like so a light, a, a shining, a glory uh, that, that is pictured in, in terms of us with God. So I think that first image is just trying to communicate the, just the glorious nature of what this eternal relationship is going to be like. It just how do you describe the glory that we will enjoy? You know, as Paul and Dathan read this, as Paul even pointed out, you can't even begin to compare or describe the glory to be revealed. So what's the best you can do? Well, it's the glory of God. I can't make a higher glory than that, so I'll use that. <laughs> we now have the glory of God. That's just unbelievable, the brilliance and, and, and glory of what that would look like. Look at verses 12 through 14. It had great, a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates were the names of the 12 tribes that the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east, three gates and on the north, three gates and the south, three gates and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. All right. So tell me why we have this detailed description of walls. Why do we need walls for this city? It's, you know, here we're describing the people of God, and yet we're describing a city. First, it's glorious, like the glory of God. And then second, he starts describing, we've got high walls and gates, and they're pretty gates and pretty walls, and they've got names on them, but why do we need walls? What's, what's, what do you think all the wall? What do, you, what do you think, Muriel? Good. Yeah, I think that's the big idea is that, and it's even stated in verse 27, nothing unclean will enter, nothing false, nothing evil, nothing sinful, that 
you are getting an imagery of, of purity in, in this picture. So uh, eternity is not going to be stained with the sinful. No one clean are allowed to come in. And, and that's what we were seeing back in verse 8 when it was describing the faithless and all of them are not going to be a part of this. So you're seeing the same image here. And this goes back to what uh, Debbie said earlier, that you have the names of the tribes of Israel and the names of the apostles. So again, you aren't just talking about New Testament Christians. You are talking about all of the faithful people of God for all time, for all eternity, who believed in God and were deemed faithful to him. They're a part of this. And so again, as I mentioned earlier, I think that that's why chapter 20 to me is not just merely... Those who had only died in those first couple of centuries, but we're talking about all the people of God who have been willing to give their lives for the cause of Christ. And you're seeing that pictured here that you have the names of the apostles, the names of the tribes, essentially crossing the covenants, God's ultimate plan uh, being fulfilled. Okay, Uh, verse 15 And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city. And its gates and walls and the city lies four square and its length is the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and its width and its height are equal. And he also measured its wall, 144 cubits by a human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. All right. So now you have a measuring stick. Go run out and measure the city. And you will notice that the measuring, it says there in verse 16, the length and the width, all of this are all the same. All right, so what does that tell you if we've got all the same measurements of this thing, Debbie? It's huge. Okay, one is huge, certainly. Yeah, it's it's big. Yeah, so and this is, as an aside, this is where I always have my big grin on my face when people try to take the book of Revelation literally, and I go... This is you can't have a cube like this that's going to fit. <laughs> you know, it reaches all the way up into outer space and goes this way. Like this is a symbol. This is this is a picture. But what else in the scriptures was a perfect cube? Because there wasn't much. But you had one thing that was always in perfect square, and there was a reason it was always built as that perfect square, Debbie. The Holy of Holies was a square, which represented God. And what was that trying to say except that perfection? And I think that's the idea here of going and measuring the people of God. They're pictured as glorious. They're pictured as pure. They're pictured as perfected. Now everything is perfect. Everything is perfectly aligned because this is going back to verse 9. We're supposed to be the bride, the wife of the lamb. So we better be perfected. No spot or blemish, any of that. We've been been made clean. So here is this great scene of you have a perfect God with his perfected people. So New Jerusalem comes down and you go out and measure and it says it's a perfect square. It's perfect. It's it, it's it's ready for for this 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 marriage that's going to happen. All right. Any questions about that before we look at the, the next picture? All right. Uh, we'll keep going with these descriptions. Verse, verse 18 through 21. Verse 18, the wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. 
The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the city or the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. All right? As you visualize that, what do you think of? What's the imagery? Anthony? Yeah, when you when you think of pearls, what do you, what do you think of? Are those you know ugly and you know useless, right? There's there's beauty, right? Uh, when you read verse nineteen and verse twenty, here's all of these different jewels. What what do you think of? Just just yeah, precious, beautiful. You know, there's you can't get away from this this imagery of the beauty of what this looks like. So again, I want you to read this and go, this isn't saying when we get there, we're going to see a building that looks like this. It's saying that's us. We're that. God has made us beautiful and glorious and perfected and pure and righteous. Here's this image of we are fully prepared. And so just another point of view of the beauty of what it will be like to be able uh, to be with, with God. And then verses 22 through 27, verse 22, I saw no temple in the city for the temple is the Lord God, the almighty and the lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamb. And its light will, and it's by its light, the nations will walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and the gates will never shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. All right. So verse 22, we have no temple there. Why no temple? What's it trying to tell us? Okay. So God's the temple, but why don't we need a temple? Okay. Yeah. Good. Does does God need to protect himself from us now in his temple complex so that only holy priests who have cleansed themselves can come in to enjoy the access of God? No. Since we are glorious and perfected and pure and nothing unrighteous, you have this image of direct access. No need for a temple. No need for someone to stand between us us and God walking right in. Dathan, did you have something there? I, I get the sense that maybe what makes the new Jerusalem so beautiful, really, is the character of the people there, the, the redeemed. And, and so it might not really be a physical description, but, you know, it is, it is its inhabitants. Yep. That you know, picture you know what this is like. We 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 literally take on 
the, 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 the flawless character of God. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's not, it's not just a description of the, 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 uh, the place itself, but it is its inhabitants. The, 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 the Christians who are there and what they reflect in, yes. by virtue of the, 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 the redeemed body and all that salvation promises. Yep. Because the corruption and everything, as Paul says in, in Romans 8, yep. all, all of that disappears. That's right. And, and so we're, we're back to what, what God intended when he created the, 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 the paradise. Absolutely. You have in, uh, in Genesis 2 that you're told that that they were able to walk with God in the garden. What was that like? <laughs> Can you imagine? Well, one day you won't have to imagine. One day that won't have to be. I wonder what that's going to be like because the, here, here is just nothing blocking access. No temple. There's no interference. Nothing standing in the way. It's just you enjoying the glory of God. It was a really neat picture. Dane? In verse 10, 19, it was, Therefore, brothers and sisters, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, yeah. but in verse 10, the whole idea here is showing how Christ perfected us to yeah. have access to God. That's right. Now you get to revelation in this life. Yeah. There is what that was like. Right. There is no more inter, inter, there's no more for an intermediary. Yeah. You have full access to God and God right. the Father, the Son, and the Holy yeah. Spirit. This is the kind of grooming that we're being groomed to appreciate our salvation. Yeah. That starts now. And then when revelation does happen in the Lord's time, then in essence, this is it. This yes. is what we're waiting for. Yeah. This is where we have full access to God. Yes, it's it's just such an overwhelming image that's given to us. Debbie? Uh, I got, kind of got a little bit stuck on the fact that the glory of God gives its light and mm -hmm. the lamb is its lamb. Mm -hmm. Is that a significant thing or is that just poetic? I think it's very symbolic and just poetic of you know, in, in the daytime you had the sun for light. At night you would light a lamp uh, You know, for us to turn on a lamp. Well, you won't need any of that because there's no darkness there and we don't need a sun because the glory is shining and so it's just trying to say that uh, God and Christ are all the light and it will never fade you know it'll never stop shining so yeah it's, it's really a beautiful thing Muriel see God face to face so solve all my big problems and questions right yeah for, for sure um, another important picture that to, to catch as well is verses 24 to 26 who's who's coming in as well what part of this description of the people who are entering into this this glory and enjoying this direct full access to God without barrier nations and kings all right so here is a picture of so we're not limited by ethnicity or culture or race it's not going to be just Israel, the Jewish people who are in, but everybody is having full access. So it's not only wide, but then also social structure, high and low. Kings are coming in and giving glory to God. We have even the low are coming in and giving glory to God. So everybody full access before God. No one's held back. No one's kept out. The only thing that keeps you out is verse 27. 
nothing unclean. <laughs> That's the only bar. You have to get over that bar of being righteous before God, holy before him, but nothing else holds anyone out. Uh, except being unclean. So again, just the, the imagery that's being driven out of, here's what it's going to ultimately look like. All right, uh, any questions? We're about out of time here, but any questions about that before we put a pin on that and come to chapter 22 uh, next week? All right, because one of the things I'm looking forward to in a in couple of weeks is as, as we've traveled through this book, what I will do with you is I want to then go back over it in summary view. We've, we've gone in for the, the nitty-gritty details of the book and gotten all this, and it's easy to forget the, the scope of what we've seen. And so we'll go back and do that, and that'll give us a chance to answer some, some other important questions and you have to bring up other questions you've had from anywhere in the book over the 22 chapters. But uh, for next week, chapter, chapter 22, we'll take a 15-minute break and we will reconvene at 1030 for our next hour of worship. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate it.